Hello and welcome uh, to BakaCast for the uh, week of November 25th. Yeah, that's when we're recording this. Yeah, fall Why 7 not? and 8. Uh, I am your host, Dustin, and with me today is Larry. Uh, yeah, I'm here. It's 70 degrees outside. What season and is this ben. again? Yo. <laughs> uh, and we are recovering from our suffusion of turkey and mashed potatoes. Gobble, 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 gobble. Just give me all the mashed potatoes in the world. Just... And, and that's the reason that Aaron isn't with us. He OD'd on turkey. Uh, I'm, yeah, probably, yeah. probably not. I don't know what Aaron's doing, but, uh, he is not here today, but that's okay. Uh, he, I'm sure he'll be back eventually to talk about Kino's journey. Oh, um, eventually, we're sure. As always, you can find show notes at www.projecthari.net or at www.audioentropy.com. And let's start out with, uh, Magus, uh, Ancient Magus's Bride, episodes six through seven. Uh, the episode eight has technically aired um, on Saturday, but also some of us were busy, so I think I was the only one who watched it. Uh, yes, I was playing D and D all day. Yep, you played a lot of D and D. Good lord. Yes, <laughs> I'm, I'm. I'm like I found a place where like I can play a whole lot, and it's really awesome. Nice. Yeah, so episode six is about the fairy queen and meeting said fairy queen. And Oberon being pretty much like Oberon is in most mythology, where he's a extremely horny idiot. Uh, the thing that got me about the thing that got me about the uh, the Fairy Queen is. You notice how Titania's boobs are, like, practically falling out of that dress? Yeah, and they animate it very... There is a surprising amount of work gone into animating those breasts as if they were, like... They're undulating, like, pools of water. It's really... It's gravity is weird. It's gravity is a wonderful thing. It's... Yeah, it, it's weird that it's definitely something I noticed. Um, I feel like the the show hasn't really done any sexualization of any of its char- other characters. So the, for the Fairy Queen, I can sort of see it, but also it was strange. Um, my main issue with this episode is that it largely just isn't very interesting. Like, the aesthetics are cool and all, but it's a little dull. Yeah, there wasn't much happening, but I like the atmosphere. Yeah, like, the again, the atmosphere was good. I like the idea of meeting the Fairy Queen, but we don't really learn anything particularly interesting about them. There isn't much character <clears throat> development that happens it's kind of just like let's meet some new people all right we did that <laughs> um so it's okay but also i came away like episodes seven and eight were far better 
Okay. Yeah, I haven't seen episode eight yet, but episode seven was great. Yes. Yeah, episode seven introduces the the dog man, the precious dog man. Yes. The black dog. Yes. I I I can't remember. Is episode seven the one where we see the flashback? Is that eight? No, I'm forgetting everything. That's okay. See what ha- what exactly happens in seven? Well, because we... like it, because it it felt like one continuous thing to me, so it's hard for me to figure out where seven ends and where eight begins in terms of what we see. Uh, episode seven ends with the like like the man behind the the bad guy sorcerers. Oh right. He yes. shows up. He shows up and he attacks and Chise gets wounded and Elias just goes out. goes yeah, berserk. He becomes, yeah, he becomes super monster. And yeah. that's where the cliffhanger that's where the cliffhanger at the end of episode seven. Yes. Okay, goes. right. The the dog flashback happens in the next one. Okay. Um but yeah, I really enjoyed episode seven. Um, I like I, I said this before in the when, when we watched like the prologue episode, but like the black dog was one of the characters where I was like, yes, I definitely want to know more about this guy. Yes, uh, and this is the arc where you meet him. Mm-hmm. I. Yes, I read this arc in the manga, and I liked it then, and I am liking it so far now. I also like the scene near the beginning with uh, Chisei making a sleeping potion, basically, mm-hmm. and uh, putting a, making it a bit too effective. Scout. Yes. <laughs> and she weaponizes it. Yeah, it's that really was good. That was awesome. Yep. That was a... Uh, I actually was... really liked... Uh, I really liked Chisei's interaction with uh, Alice, the uh, apprentice sorcerer. Oh, yeah. Where Chisei shows she's got a pretty good head on her shoulders. And... Very impressive amount of like self possession, I would say. Yeah, like, yeah, she also immediately figures out, like, you know, not to speak to like the that evil thing or monster or whatever the heck that thing was. Well, yeah, that comes from her from her early experiences. Yeah, you saw bits of that in the pro well in the prologue episodes. Oh right, because like. The, like the first episode of the prologue was like all about her being tormented by demons while nobody would nobody really understood what she was going through because they couldn't see them yeah uh, yeah I'm, I'm uh, the cliffhanger I like cliffhangers <clears throat> so I'm looking forward to seeing. I'm looking forward to seeing episode eight when uh, 
when uh, I get time to do so. Yeah, it'll be eight and nine. But yes, I really enjoyed episode eight and the flashback in it. Um, it almost feels weird talking about episode seven without talking about episode eight, just because they're so integral to each other. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that uh, when next we record. Uh, I'll just say that you know episode six was fine and all, but episode seven is where like a lot of really interesting stuff happens and. You know, we meet the Black Dog, who's a fantastic character, and we get some, like, nice development for Chisei sort of becoming more confident existing in this weird magical fantasy world. So, if I gave them fours and fives, you wouldn't be too terribly upset? I'm gonna give episode six a three, and episode seven a five. I'm gonna give episode six a four, and episode seven a five. All right. Okay. Uh, let's move on to... Oh, I accidentally left Altair in there for some reason, even though we didn't watch it. My bad. Uh, well, I watched it, but... Uh, yeah, I did too, but we'll catch up with it. Get a chance. Yeah, so uh, let's move on to Blood Blockade, Battlefront, and Beyond, episodes 6 through 7. Um, I'm still... I like how this show is doing character episodes. I still do really like that direction for it. Um, I especially like... Although episode 6, I don't know, that wasn't so much a character episode, but it was still a lot of fun. I don't know. I'm having, I'm having trouble finding a whole lot to say about this season of Blood Blockade. Uh, just because like, I'm in... It's really enjoyable, but also at the same time, it's not as it's not as like deep as the other season was. Like, it's a very fun action show. Yeah, it's it's, but it doesn't it, really have much beyond that in terms of depth. Well, that's it. It, it, it. It's it's beyond the story. It's now individual. It's almost like a little slice of life daily, this, that, and the other things. Yeah, it has actually kind of become more of a slice of life show now that you mention it. Um, that's actually kind of a good comparison. It, it's strange because, like, you get hints of the sort of, like, more... Uh, I wouldn't like, call it a slice of life show, exactly. I would call it a problem of the week kind of show. There's okay, a difference. That, I mean, problem of the week is essentially slice of life, but for action shows. I like, I think, uh, I think either when one works, um, but ultimately the like the reason behind the nomenclature is that is to imply that like it's a lot shallower in terms of its substance, which you know isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it's also very different from how the first season of Blood Blockade was where there actually was quite a bit to talk about in terms of the themes that it was going for there's not really much happening in terms of theming in beyond yeah there's not sort of a a, a wider point to be the made by thematic, this particular the thematic season the depth of the first season came mostly from its anime original overplot 
Yeah, which honestly, like, I think was a good idea. It actually worked very well to tie the whole thing together. Um, uh, if I, it's weird because I feel like if Blood Blockade, Battlefront, and Beyond, if season two had come out first, I probably wouldn't have liked it as much. But because the first season laid that solid foundation, um, I'm more forgiving of the second season not really having that depth. It's sort of a strange scenario. <laughs> right, because you're getting to know these really fun characters and how they work together and bounce off each other. Because, like, episode six is all about the, char- the characters as a team confronting this problem. Yeah, because, like, they get kicked out of their offices by, like, hyper-evolutionary bug monsters. And they've got to, like, scrounge up their resources and work together to get everything done. And, as usual, Klaus does something totally awesome. Uh, That's what you want to call that. (laughs) Climbing up the side of the building? Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yes, climbing up the side of the building with swords made from his own blood. That's the important part, is yeah, that they're swords well, made from his own blood. Oh, and Leonardo, and Leonardo riding on his back. So you yeah. can see where to put the sword without triggering the uh, fry me alarm, or fry me The fact, field. which, like, there's a little bit of, like, fun characterization going on there, because normally, like, Leo's kind of a scaredy cat. But the fact that he is willing to climb on Klaus's back, uh, knowing that, like, if any of those swords destabilize, they will immediately blow all of them, like, vaporize them because of the defenses. Like, that kind of shows how much trust Leo places in Klaus. Um, which, you know, it has been backed up uh, by both the first season and several episodes of the second season. But, like, Leo... Leo inter Leo interacts with Klaus very differently than he does the other characters. Where Klaus is probably the only person that Leo Im- trusts a hundred percent completely. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like it, it was fun. I liked it. Uh, I also kind of liked the not necessarily background, but, like, second conflict they had to deal with with the Earth... They called them Earthshakers. We're never really told exactly what they are or what will happen if the Earthshaker makes it to the ground, just that it would be extremely bad for everybody, which is kind of okay. I think it's fine that they don't really explain, you know, why the Earthshakers (laughs) are bad or where exactly they come from, just that they need to be stopped. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and they it, count it makes down. it that the, the freezing countdown oh yeah that was it, real there was, good there, there was a lot of freezing in this episode in fact yeah in some ways like not explaining what the earth shakers are kind of makes them makes them seem more serious of a threat mm-hmm. just because we're imagining what might happen if it touches the ground Also, the design of it is pretty cool, too. And the idea that it's, like, invisible to everybody but Leo. One thing I'm... that this season has impressed me with, that the first season also impressed me with, was 
the way it treats the city as kind of a character in its own right. Yeah. Well, the, I forgot which episode it was, but the scene where he was in the hospital after uh, Zed had kicked him in the face. Or Zap. Zap had kicked him in the face, excuse me. And and the doctor, the, the doctors, and all of a sudden she saw the eyes and all the doctors came together and became one giant doctor again. I like that. Part. Oh yeah, yeah. I like. I, that. I always enjoy when the doctor shows up because she's just a really fun character. I really like that line about how, like, fixing his eyes was not was not going to be a medical procedure, but rather it would be like breaking a contract with a deity. Yeah, it's like, oh, okay, that's serious then. <laughs> it's like, whoops. Fives? Yeah, I I agree with that. So, um, yeah, episode seven goes into more about Zed. Yes. And and wanted that wanted his gills. She thought they were high class headphones. And yeah, stuff. which uh-huh. which I'm happy for because like uh, I feel like Zed even in the first season didn't get a whole lot of attention, um, even though he was one of the like most solid designs for me and granted he is extremely hellboy uh but uh that's okay you if they're ripping off mark mandola because it's a solid design <laughs> um but yeah zed is i always have really enjoyed zed and i'm glad that episode seven gave him a bit more screen time and i also like that leo clearly cares a lot about zed um, yep. <clears throat> partly because like Zed being a weird fish man doesn't get a whole lot of respect, yeah, and, much, and much neither like... does Leo. <laughs> right. So they go through all this. They go through all this so that uh, Zed won't have to miss Libra's New Year's party. Yeah, the the New Year's party that Leo like spent so much time. Uh, getting together and scheduling and, you know, getting the place hooked up for. Yeah, Um, Yeah, it seems like every time Leo tries to do something, somebody either zap or or somebody derails him. So I'm glad to see that he didn't get completely derailed this time, just partially. Yeah. There's also, like, (laughs) sort of in between, like, the action, there's also this this really neat sequence of... Of Zed trying to look for work, yeah, and no one wanting to hire him. Well, you know, then we get to the to the end of seven where they reclaim the office, but the office is under construction. So Leo goes to his favorite diner, opens the door, and finds out the office has moved into the diner. Oh yeah, uh huh, yeah. Like my my one bastion of hope, and you guys have moved into it. Oh, that was episode six, I think, was wasn't it? Six? Yes, it was. Oh, it was yeah. six. Sorry. Um, well, like I said, yeah, because because they because they had exploded their own tower, so they had to like hang out in the diner for a while while it got fixed. So the end of okay, episode so, so seven ended with the party. Period. Well, and also Zed finding work, uh, using his powers oh. to entertain the people. 
Yes. Yeah, and the, and the he becomes of, a street magician, basically. Yeah, and the uh, and the uh, thing of money and Zap going, really? Okay, I got it now. Brain, I told you, brain was. Yeah. Yeah, I, I quite like the action sequence in this episode too, with uh, uh, Zap creating a gigantic flaming greatsword with his blood, um, and Chain doing as Chain does, and like. Easily infiltrating to get his wa- uh, water breather back, and then scaring the hell out of the like child arms dealer. Mm-hmm. Yes, that was so satisfying. Chain is Chain is the best. <laughs> yes, I I'll give this episode a five as well. Yes, five. Both of these episodes are fives. I had a blast with these episodes. Yeah. Uh, well, moving I, on to Junie Tyson Zodiac War episodes seven through eight. Hmm. I don't. This the show is getting extremely dull. I was. I had problems with the structure of this of these episodes. Because what it felt like was that all the times when they kept on cutting back to the backstory of the Snake and Dragon Brothers, it it disrupted the momentum of the fight going on in the present. Because yeah, because the the whole thing with the fight going on in the present was was actually really compelling and tense. Because you got like. Because you got tiger, tiger and ox being choked by, by snakes, like dismembered limbs. Yeah, and and you have and you have monkey seeming to actually be dead and now controlled by rabbit, which like I question as a as a decision. <laughs> like I, I'm. Like it seems, I was wrong that she wasn't dead. I, I, but I still remain a little skeptical, just because that would be such a terrible decision to kill off Monkey just randomly. Because <laughs> again, like I'm not sure who else you're supposed to care about or root for, really. Like, <laughs> um, uh... but, but yeah, like aside from like the, not only does it ruin the flow, but also. Uh, I'm not sure what the flashback was supposed to accomplish, really. Like, like, uh, Snake is already dead. And I don't care about Dragon. And it's not like the flashback informs anything that Dragon is doing in the contest right now. Um... It just feels like a writing exercise, and episode eight was just such a complete waste of time. Just a just a complete waste of my time. I <laughs> I just did not care. Um, yeah, the only really that, good thing about episode eight was seeing how uh, ox and tiger get out of being choked by snake's limbs. Uh, yeah. When they figure out that fire actually 
Fire actually deals with undead limbs just fine. Yep. The and I do. And episodes and my issue with episode seven was just that it was like boring. I do like think very very little actually happened in it. I do think there was a point to this, to these episodes, but which is <clears throat> it was more about fleshing out the world outside of the Juni Tyson. Because this world is not our world. This is a completely different world. Yeah, I, I that's true, but also I feel like the episode that Monkey had did something extremely similar where it fleshed out the outside world, but it actually served a purpose within <laughs> the current storyline. Like, it was about a character and their motivations and what they're good at. Well, Whereas in episode eight, it's like, yeah, it fleshes out the outside world a little bit more, but, you know, outside of the sort of, like, trial, it doesn't really actually add anything useful for me. <clears throat> And even then, like, I'm not even sure how useful the trial scene was, just because n nothing about the outside world seems to be at all relevant for what's going on in the Zodiac War. Like, it, it kind of doesn't matter what the outside world is like. Like, we already know the premise, then, that the world is, you know, really weird, just from the premise of the Zodiac War and the people participating in it. I think the nature of the outside world, well, it doesn't, it doesn't affect most of the characters. I think it had the most pronounced effect with Monkey, and I think when it gets to Rat, when it finally starts telling Rat's story, I think it's going to have an, I think it's going to have an effect. <sighs> but, and... Actually, the stories of Snake and Dragon were kind of interesting for me. The problem was for me was the was the way it intercut Snake Snake and Dragon stories with the you know with the current with the current ongoing Juni Tyson. Meaning, like it just it disrupted the flow and the momentum of the story, and the pacing was off. And that kind of irked me. So, I'm going to give these episodes threes. Uh, I don't know, man. Like, at this point, not only has Judy Tyson killed off kind of the only compelling character, but it's just, it's been spinning its wheels for like at least three or four episodes now, doing nothing of particular substance. And the fight scenes even aren't even all that interesting because it constantly does the thing of like, oh, two people are about to fight, but then one just wins it instantly. Um, which was funny the first time with chicken and dog, but like, just gets super, like, boring for the other ones, so... <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna give episodes seven and eight 
I mean, I'm gonna give episode seven a two and episode eight a one. I am, I am. The show is getting very bad. I'm still mostly enjoying it. Just thought the pacing and structure of these episodes was off for me. Uh, let's move on to Garo episodes six through eight. Um, did ev- did it, everyone watch six through eight? Oh yes. Okay. All right. Good. Yeah. On the other, on the opposite side, Garo is still very good. <laughs> yeah, episode six was kind of like, you know, another another monster of the week thing. But oh wait, did we well, already talk about six last no, week? I can't remember. We oh right, yeah. Episode five was the last one we talked about. Right, right, right. Yes. Yeah, this episode six was about the. Uh, <laughs> The horror is, in fact, an entire movie theater. Yeah, I do like how they're, um, how the horrors in this show aren't just, like, people. Like, most of them are still people, but <clears throat> they do occasionally get more creative with the horrors than that. Um, and this is certainly one of them, in the vein of the death computer, where it's like, yeah, it's, it's a, it's, uh... It's a movie theater that doesn't really eat people, but it, like, stores them, basically. Well, it still eats them, but it, like, digests them. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, like... Which is which, which is why, you know, S.W.O.R.D. was able to save the people who were captured. <laughs> if I'm remembering correctly. Did I read that scene right? Uh, they find all those stored people, or that was that was actually later. That was later. Oh, okay. That was all another. Right. That was another episode. Oh, that was episode seven. Okay. Yeah, right. epi- I was getting to yeah. Episode six. They man. He manages to save. He manages to save Luke because of the because the digestion process is not instantaneous. Right. Yeah. For some reason, I, like, combined episodes 6 and 7 in my head. I don't know why. <laughs> I think it's because I was I marathoned, like, uh, 8 or 9 episodes of anime today. <laughs> so it's all just a blur. Um, yeah, episode... So episode 6 also shows uh, Sophie adding to the team. Yeah, yeah. So Sophie is now, like, a normal team member. Uh, which, like, S.W.O.R.D. is, you know, more okay with than you might expect. Yeah. Yeah, episode seven is where stuff gets real. Because that's when, also, that's when the also, overplot I, kicks in. Yeah. Also, I think that, like, episode six is the first time that you see uh, S.W.O.R.D.'s apartment, I think. Yes. Which looks basically exactly how you would expect Sword's apartment to look. Right, he's got a he's got a At, poster of a he's got a poster of a big-breasted supermodel over his bed, and then a punching bag in the corner. Which is like those are the two things that Sword is. He is a man with a lot of muscles, and also he likes women with big breasts. Um, that is what Sword is. And, uh, and he lives above a Chinese restaurant. Yeah, 
and the one of the ladies in the Chinese restaurant wakes wakes him up with a gong and a punch to the face every morning. Uh, also, he's like shockingly good with a walk. I kind of like that. That like, yeah, sword is this um, gigantic <laughs> slab of muscle uh, and horniness, but also, you know, he's a he's a good cook too. <laughs> He can cook a mean fried rice. Uh, mostly I just like... I just really like Sword as kind of a... lovable doof. He, like, unlike a lot of other Garo protagonists, he's kind of just a nice dude. <laughs> but, <laughs> but also he's a dumb jock. <laughs> He reminds me of a better Hermon. Yeah, yeah. He he does remind me of like what if, uh, yeah, what if uh, Hermon was not an asshole? <laughs> like, what if he wasn't a terrible father? And that's you get sword. <clears throat> um, but yeah, I I like this entire cast of characters. Um, sword and sophie's relationship is really good sophie is like completely shockingly an actual good child character (laughs) yeah it was fun seeing her fill in at the chinese restaurant and immediately raise the productivity of the place oh yeah (laughs) i also like sword uh being extremely awkward around his Makai night buddy and trying to pretend that he doesn't know Sophie. <laughs> yeah. Just cause, just cause he knows his friend is serious and be like, why are you hanging out with a child? <laughs> so yeah, so that was episode six. Then episode seven happens. Yeah. Episode seven like is like really gets more into El Dorado. Right. Um, the overplot kicks in. And how it's a very, very bad place. Um, it was, I, it, and this is more, this is more episode eight, but I really love that, you know, one of Sophie's friends is a Kung Fu nun. Yeah. It is a, it is a huge shame that she does not survive. Um, she was handling herself well against the horror, but yeah, for ju- for for just like a normal ass human that knows kung fu, she was doing pretty well. Right, and she got wounded by the horror and was still standing up. But then the yeah, then, then the, the re- dark knight, the renegade Makai knight, finished her off. <clears throat> yeah, so this um. This uh, this plot line is actually pretty interesting, uh, just because it's like this big sort of almost conspiracy uh, where the fallen knight is, you know, collecting people to use for some sort of purpose that we're not entirely sure of, only that it's bad and they're being fed to some most likely uh, like king horror 
Um, and they're also like sort of being rounded up from specific locations, uh, places where, uh, places where um, sword has been. I believe they say. <clears throat> Unless I completely misinterpreted that scene. Uh, no, that wasn't it. They were okay. <clears throat> No, they were going. They were they were on their own tracks that happened to coincide. Oh, okay, I see. All right, it's just that like they they thought it was a coincidence, but then like what they were tracking lined up with the whole El Dorado abduction. Right. <clears throat> I also really liked the fight scenes in episode eight. Yeah, um, when you got this... sword versus the. Sword versus the renegade Makai Knight. Yeah, or even like at near the beginning where Luke takes the takes on the renegade knight and does like gun kata. Yeah. Um, that was a pretty awesome fight scene as well. Right, but he can't seal the deal because he's just not <clears throat> because he's not calm enough. Yeah. Yeah. And like I, I kind, I can kind of understand complaints about the fight scenes in this show being <clears throat> like too hectic, but I don't know. I personally don't have too much trouble following it. Um, and in some ways, I kind of like the sort of f- frenetic nature of the editing at points. Um, it doesn't really bother me, and in some ways, I kind of like it for this particular Garo well, anime. Episode the first episode it didn't work very well, but this episode it did. Uh, I especially like. Um, there's one particular scene I can remember in episode eight near the end during uh, Swords fight with him, where you know in a live action show this would be known as a oneer, where the where like there's a clash. Um, Sword, like, throws the Fallen Knight away, then the camera pans back to, like, the pans back into the close-up on Sword, and then in one sweeping motion, basically, like, as it falls around Sword, then points back toward where the mark, the Dark Knight, like, got shoved away, and shows him rushing at Sword, and then they clash again. It's a really... Uh, it's a really nice looking oneer, um, and it's I feel like something that is facilitated by the way they use CG for the armor in this show. Um, and it just like looks really nice. <clears throat> yeah, another interesting thing I noticed about episode seven and eight is that. The bad guys are codenamed after chess pieces. Oh yeah. So like um, the one guy is the one weird d- dude in the suit that the kung fu nun fights is named Pawn, I believe. Yeah, and the yeah, and the renegade knight is knight, and so presumably there's gonna be and oh yeah, and they and they all follow king and queen pre- rook. Pre- presumably there's gonna be a queen, a rook, and a bishop. Yeah. And I'm willing to bet that Sophie's brother is going to be one of them. 
probably. Um, I also like Sophie kind of doing her own investigative work and figuring stuff out, like by talking to her friends online. <laughs> yeah, the online se- the online sequences are kind of cool because it's it reminds me a little bit of Gotcha Man crowds, actually. <laughs> right, because it shows the uh, like the avatars on the screen talking in their own languages that get translated into, you know, Japanese and or English. Yeah. Which I thought was kind of cool. But yeah, I am super enjoying Vanishing Line. I, you know, episode six was uh, was pretty fun, and episode seven and eight uh, with the plotline they introduced was also... Really enjoyable. I'll give all these episodes fives. I yes. had a lot of fun with them. Yeah, they're they're ramping up the intensity, and it's working. Uh, all in all, it's been a pretty positive week so far. <laughs> let's uh, let's dull that a little bit uh, with Inuyashiki five through seven. I kind of like these episodes. So. Um, so I liked episodes five and six. My feelings are mixed about seven for like one particular reason, but we'll get that. We'll get there later. So let's start with um, episode five, um, which is where uh, Inuyashiki meets up with um, Ando, who's uh, uh, who's uh, Shishigami's friend. Shishigami's friend. Yeah, exactly. Um, I really like how he figures out how to meet up with Inuyashiki. He just like says, "Help! I'm about to die. Please help me. I'm being killed." <laughs> and then sort of uh, like helps him figure out like how to shoot a gun, like use his blaster and things like that. It's uh, I really like how he interacts with Inuyashiki. It also teaches him how to like use a cell phone. <laughs> Like, he basically uh, uploads a copy of uh, his cell phone OS into Inuyashiki. Right. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, and then also, like, we get a section with uh, uh, Shishigami curing his mother, and then... um, and then basically, like, setting her up in a new apartment uh, and basically taking care of her that way. Except his past catches up with him. Yep, and he finally gets captured because his friend rightly sells him out. Right. Um, moving on to episode six. Uh, this is largely focused on uh, Shishigami and what the sort of investigation does to his family um, and basically like his mother is so ashamed and has been harassed so much by uh, terrible 4 and people like that that she commits suicide which makes him sort of go berserk and kill all of them uh, this is, hmm. 
So on the one hand, yes, 4chan is terrible and garbage and should be burned in a fire. But also, this feels a lot like some of the more gross aspects of, say, The Punisher, where, you know, the the show puts up a, a, a group of people that are easy to hate, so you don't feel too bad when they get picked off one by one. Um, and it feels a little gross. Um, it, like, obviously, you know, it makes sense that Shishigami would do this. It's completely within his, it's completely, completely in his character to do so. And it'd be weird if he didn't. Uh, but at the same time, it was not, it was not shot like Shishigami's other killings have been. It was not shot like how he killed the families um, in episode two. Uh, it was very much shot in a way where it was like, oh yeah, these guys are about to get what's coming to them. Isn't that awesome? And it felt, I wasn't, it felt gross to me. Yeah, well, because what it's doing here in this episode is it's shading, it's shading Shishigami as not just a villain, but kind of in some respects an anti-hero. Yeah, it tries to shift him, and it's uh, I not okay with that. Well, um. yeah, and yeah, episode seven. Uh, continues that shift. What's interesting about episode 7 is I actually like what episode 7 does. Um, I think it... I I think it feels too sudden and I'm not sure why he cares so much about what this random girl thinks. Um, because, you know, as we've learned before, Shishigami kind of doesn't care about anyone outside of his immediate social circle and his friends and like his family um, and kind of views other people as like not even people basically but rather like just things to be played with uh, and cast aside so uh, while I think the sort of how the lead up to his um you know, desire to, you know, make amends is not handled the best. It's a little sudden. Um, I do like the idea of a killer being reformed rather than simply murdered. Uh, It's just... (sighs) My problem with Episode 7 and... Shishigami's turn to being a good person is that I know this is not the end of the series. There are many more chapters after this. And, you know, while I was watching this, I was like, okay, well, this clearly isn't going to last because there has to be a conflict. As you can see at the very end of episode seven. Yes, yes. Um,. And that's extremely frustrating uh, because my issue with that is that 
okay, we're going to turn him into a good guy now. But wait, now we're going to, like, almost certainly, like, murder these people. That's almost certainly what's going to happen, is that in their attempt to, you know, kill him, they're going to end up murdering the girl and her grandma. Um, and then he'll go back to being a killer again. And so now, you know, it's like, oh, now we're going to be conflicted and, you know, it's like, oh, well, maybe they do deserve it. And it just feels, I'm not sure I want to watch that show. I'm not sure I want to watch a show where like this gigantic battle is fought between a um like a, a an old man who is like a very very good person and a you know killer who tried to reform and then because of plot reasons just like gets pulled back into being a, a horrible murderer again and then we're supposed to like feel sympathetic for that like, well, it's not just plot. It feels it feels heavily manipulative. It's not just plot reasons, though. It, you know, I think the point there is that sometimes you can't make a clean break with your past. Yeah. So, for me, this turn of events worked well. I liked, I liked that they, that they tried to make Shishigami more complex. In that he's not just a garden variety sociopath. My issue with that is that they. That is how they initially painted him. As like, oh, isn't he terrible? Um, and then now... <sighs> Man, I'm not being very articulate today. Um, I, I may need to think about this more to like really put my thoughts together on the issue. Um... <clears throat> well, he is terrible. But he had the potential to be good. Uh, and it's it's a tragedy that he was not able to fulfill that potential to be good. Yeah, I think my issue is that um, I'm pretty certain that it's just going to then become a like battle between Inuyashiki and Shishigami and kind of all that you know, well, can he be reformed? Can he be saved? Will be thrown out the window. And I'm super not interested in watching that sort of show. Like, if you're gonna tell me, like, this this guy, you know, has good in him, it just needs to be brought out by the right people, give me that show. Um, I don't want to see a show where, you know, the guy who can be reformed uh is sort of like gets into a battle with like the other like the hero and 
you know, that's it, that's that. Um, I don't know, maybe I could be wrong, but it, again, it feels gross and manipulative to me. I I disagree. I thought it worked. I don't know. Maybe I'm just not articulating myself very well. It's I recently watched them, and this is it's. I may just need to think about it more, and uh, you know, write something up rather than trying to make the argument off the top of my head. Because I don't feel like I'm explaining myself particularly well. Um, but yeah, I don't know. The, the, epi- the way that episode 7 set things up made me very not interested in what happens next. I, 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 just, I just don't want to deal with that, I think. Well, I'm, uh, I'm just going to say that... Uh... The battle between Inuyashiki and Shishigami is not the end. Alright, we'll see, I guess. I don't know. It Maybe I'm just super not up for like a con- constantly depressing tragedy. Like maybe that's it. But yeah, anyway. We'll see what happens, I guess. Um, you know, I'll give it a couple more episodes. If it pulls me back, then great. But I'm not feeling particularly confident well, about that. I'm going to give these episodes fours. Oh, God, I don't know what to give them. Um, <laughs> episode five, I'll give a five. Episode four... Um, Mean Sorry, not four. Mean- <laughs> I'm going backwards in time. Episode six, uh, I will give a three largely for the scenes with Inuyashiki, just because, man, I super did not like the tone of the 4chan murder segment. Um, episode seven, I have no idea what to score. <laughs> I think I'll just hold off on my score for episode 7 until I, you know, see the next one or two, because I really don't know. I guess I'll give it a 4, because I like the concept, but I'm tentatively... They spent, they actually, in episode 7, they spent a relatively small amount of screen time going through a whole lot of in-universe time. Uh, Yeah. Because... Like, from uh, certain phrases, uh, like, episode 7 actually took place over a series of months. Yeah, so, All right. so it wasn't just, it wasn't just him overnight, you know, yeah. doing his thing. Oh, yeah, I know that that wasn't overnight. Um, my, you know, my main... My main thing with the episode 7 is, like, again, I like the concept, but I think the execution left a lot to be desired. I kind of wish, again, it felt sudden that this guy all of a sudden, you know, cared about what the girl thinks. (laughs) Um, 
But yeah, let's move on to Land of the Lustrous, episodes six through seven. Mm. Hello. Show's very depressing. Yeah, at the moment, it is. uh... For a show that's, like, largely about a bunch of, like, uh, you know, um, you know, feminine-coded pretty gemstones uh, who are all friends, it's, this is probably the saddest show this season, I'm gonna say. Uh, because it mostly deals with like the constant one of the constant themes in Land of Lustrous is just um, hopelessness Uh, particularly in the case of Fos uh, who is a person who wants to be better and knows she sucks um but it also suffers from like such crippling anxiety that she kind of just assumes that she cannot improve and thus does not try uh and is thus stuck in a never-ending cycle of self-hatred and it's extremely sad yeah and the fact that like like, Fosa's inability to improve, it's kind of hard-coded into the world-building, because because everybody's strength is based upon their their hardness. And, yeah, like... And Fos is, like, from the get-go, the softest gem of the whole group. So that means, like, there's no way that she could ever become... A strong fighter. I don't know. She keeps merging with gems. Who knows what her new hardness will be? So that is... Oh, God. That's the probably the more depressing part. Is that Fos... Because of that, Fos thinks the only way that she can get stronger is to replace more of herself. But as we already know, you know, the gems, their memories are contained in their base structure. Yep. So the more that she replaces, the more she loses who Fos is. Um, and with these... like she's already she's already forgotten her jellyfish friend. Yep. And the way the last episode ended, who knows where we're at? Yeah. Um. And and all the while, like you know, as she's trying to improve and asking her friends to like help her, she's watching those same friends who are trying to help her like constantly get torn apart by the luminarians uh, like in the last part of episode six where amethyst where the amethyst twins get like shattered in a spectacularly uh horrifying fashion and then they say you know what's the Fos's fault they you know should have told her to run faster sooner yeah Of course, Bort wasn't uh, too convinced about that. I think Bort. Oh yeah, no, Bort. Bort was very angry, and also like even though Bort is a dick, um, it's hard not to sympathize with her anger because it seems like <clears throat> things always go bad when Fos is involved. Well, you know, the hardest gems seem to be hardcore. 
Interesting, there was an interesting uh, wrinkle, which is that not all the gems are feminine coded. Uh, for instance, uh, Yellow Diamond seems to be male coded. Could be. Oh, uh, possibly, yeah. Because, because there was, uh, like, Yellow Diamond uh, actually refers to themselves as Onisama. So, Sea of Yellow Diamond, I like at the beginning of episode 6 where Yellow Diamond shows up and Diamond is like, oh, Yellow Diamond! And she does like this almost like puppy-like butt wiggle <laughs> when she goes up to Yellow Diamond. Like, oh, like she's trying to wag her tail. It's hilarious. <laughs> but yeah, like not all of them are completely feminine-coded. Yellow Diamond is... You know, either androgynous or male coded, you could uh, make the argument. Um, sensei is male, but also we don't really know what Sensei is exactly. Like, he doesn't seem to be a gem. Um, but also, like, he's clearly not human, so who the hell knows? Uh, he strikes me as some kind of very far distant post human. Uh,. Possibly. Yeah, because the way he reacted to the word, you know, when Fos told her what he found in the ocean and mentioned humans, he went right straight through the uh, ceiling, too. So, yeah, I I, I could be with that. Because there was that, there was that whole thing in episode, episode three, where, where it goes about, where they tell this, uh, like, mythological story about how humanity was kind of split into three parts of uh, flesh, bone, and soul. And that yeah. the jellyfish were flesh, the gems were bone, and the Lunarians were soul. Yeah, so, I remember that. Sensei seems to be the complete package, only further evolved. Possibly, yeah. Uh, I also like in episode uh, seven. Uh, not only uh, not only do we see we get like an interesting bit of mythology about the gems and that they have to hibernate for the winter, uh, but also they change outfits and basically have this almost like fantasy movie, almost like Disney movie esque yep. sort of like bed tent to sleep in. <laughs> Uh, and also we meet uh, Antarcticite. Who is liquid most of the time. Right, but can only be solid during winter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because the colder it is, the more uh, the harder her structure becomes. Yep. Uh, and her job mostly is to um, break apart ice flows because they make horrendous noises uh, that wake up the other gems. Um, right, and it turns out the noise they make is because the ice flows contain, like, bits of gem that are, like, not enough to form a complete person. Yeah, but, like, uh, sort of have become a hive mind, almost, um, that 
Like, it's implied only Fos can really hear them well. Uh, and uh, they're the ones that, like, try to convince Fos to, you know, cut her own arms off. And at the end, it actually happens. Yeah, because she falls in, and as Antarctosite noted, if you fall into the water during winter, the ice flows can grind you up if you're not careful. But yeah, it's... It, episode 6 and 7 are sort of like a, an interesting... Like, both interesting from a world-building aspects, and also like... Uh, horribly sad uh, in terms of like Fos's development. Yeah, yeah. I really want Fos to, you know, be able to contribute to the team. In a lot of ways, Land of the Lustrous reminds me of the sort of of the sort of tone that Yoko Taro has for a lot of his games. It's a very sort of near esque tone. Um, not necessarily dra- <clears throat> In some ways, it's Drakengard. Mostly when the Luminarians show up, then it's Drakengard. Um, but in terms of like you know sadness and ex- existential crisis being the menu of the day, uh, it's very very near in that regard. Um, but yeah, whereas I feel like in in a lot of Yoko Taro's games, the they tend to focus on sort of humanity and society as a whole and how we interact with each other um land of the takes a more personal look personal look on like how we interact with ourselves um it's very good i was not expecting to like this show as much as i did and i was certainly not expecting it to be as uh as thematically deep as it is it's probably one of the most smartly written shows of this season yeah uh, I, give, I give both episodes fours yes I'll, I'll give them both fives I'm gonna okay. give them both fours alright uh, so that'll do it for our reviews for this week um, sort of went by a little quicker just because you know it's late and we're all tired <laughs> Um, so let's uh, move on to our listener comments and questions. Uh, we have one. Uh, we have a post from Dayriff, uh, who says, "Blood blockade battlefront." Something I found interesting are the hints that Klaus plays kind of a Nick Fury role in Libra. That is, his personal integrity is what keeps an organization that could easily go off the rails, a secret society of, su- of Superman enforcing justice, actually doing good. Um, which is kind of a good point. Like I think. It, you know, everyone in Libra, you know, has conflicts with each other, except for with Klaus. Everybody in Libra respects Klaus. Even Zap. <laughs> he he kind of he's kind of the glue that holds everyone together. Um, Juni Tyson, I dropped it after episode 5 when it became apparent that all the characters are going to die in reverse Chinese Zodiac order. Maybe I'll check back in at the finale to see how it all ends up. 
so this is a question for Ben. Sorry if it's too personal or anything. Please ignore if you don't want to answer. I've noticed that when you're reviewing episodes on the bo- on the podcast, you often start stuttering. That is, repeating the same first few words of your thoughts several times until you're finally able to complete the point you want to make. Is that something you deal with in everyday life, or does it only emerge when you're trying to talk on a podcast and know you're speaking to a large audience? It's something that happens in everyday life for me, in ordinary conversation. Because I see this podcast as a conversation. And that's how... That's how I do it. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I've noticed in myself that I will occasionally repeat my own words. It's something I have sort of been conscious of and trying to fix in myself that largely happens because... I tend to talk faster than I can think. So I'll have oh, an idea in I'll have a basic idea in my head of where I want to take the conversation, but I won't necessarily have all my words planned out. So <laughs> But yeah, I, I I have I used to have that problem to a I think a greater degree, uh especially when we started the podcast. And I was kind of getting used to the whole you know, talking about anime in an audio format as opposed to just writing about it. Uh, you know, where I had to think on the fly. Uh, it's something I just slowly got better at with time. Funny thing is, yeah. I'm not bad at performance, but I suck at improv. Yeah, it, improv is hard. It's real hard. Um, I... I you know, I can. I've gotten better at on-the-fly reviewing and sort of explaining my thoughts on things. But man, if you ask me to do like improv, comedy, or acting, man, that's that's a whole other ball game. Yeah, I did drama in high school. I was pretty good at it. <laughs> but, but that was, was because kinda... that was because I had a script to work with. <laughs> I was just kind of okay. <laughs> I did drama in high school, but I was just kind of okay at it. I wasn't great. I wasn't bad. I was very serviceable. <laughs> I, I can understand your mind going faster than your mouth can translate what it's trying to tell you. Because when I first started flying, I was thinking faster than I can talk. And boy, air traffic control used to read me the right act. Ooh. Oh, yeah, I imagine. Yeah. Imagine air traffic control wouldn't be too happy about like anything other than concise and clear and quick. And see, that's the thing. Yeah. If you ever grab like grab your dad's scanner or something and just listen in on air traffic control and listen to the speed and the pace of that, and you're gonna go, really? <laughs> what language is that? Because I think it's English, but I'm not really sure. It's, it's yeah, it's not an English that I am at all familiar with. Uh, well, but yeah, talking, it's hard. Yeah, and, you know, I, I, there are moments. And honestly, like, I, I love brain even, farts. Brain farts are great, and I'm having one of them right now. And, like, even among the realm of, like, professional reviewers, uh, Ben isn't alone, because I, I notice, um, I'm, I'm a big fan of Waypoint, um, the 
uh, game journalism website, you know, run by Austin Walker. Uh, but he has a uh, podcast that he hosts with uh, Daniel Riendo, um, uh, Patrick Klepek, and Rob Zachney, um, all of whom are people I highly respect um, in the games industry, uh, games journalism industry, I should say. Uh, and I really like Patrick, um, and he's a very smart person. Also, has pretty much the does pretty much the same thing as Ben does on podcasts. Where you know he'll he'll stutter a lot, he'll repeat himself a lot. It's just some people are just better writers than they are talkers. I, you know they know what they're talking about. They can give you a lot of good insights, but actually getting the words out sometimes can be difficult. So it, it it's is, funny how our brains work. Well, and the other thing is, if you've got a relatively clear head, and what I mean by a clear head is you don't have a cold or you don't have a headache and I got a friend of mine who suffers from migraines, anything like that, that distracts your brain from trying to order words. Oh yeah. You know, <laughs> and, and you know, like I said, the friend of mine that suffers from migraines, there are times that he cannot talk. He will take his phone, write it out in a text and hold it up so you can read it because he can still type, but he cannot talk. Oh yeah. Because the migraine is so bad, he, he, he it's disabled his voice, or what comes out of him is blotchy, splotchy, and you're like, what, uh, what the hell was that you just said? Here, read the phone. <laughs> oh, okay. Gotcha. So, yes, I, I understand things like that. And that's the nice thing that makes us all human and unique, because if we were all the same, this place would really <laughs> suck. God, it'd be terrible. <laughs> anyway, moving right along. Yeah, moving on to a comment from Umu, who says, Has anyone on the show been watching Hoseki no Kuni, a.k.a. Land of the Lustrous? It has really surprised me how much I liked it. It has become my most anticipated show each week. The CGI was really well done. I was wondering if anyone had any thoughts about it. So yeah, this was obviously posted um, before I finished editing the podcast where, you know, we actually talked about Land of the Lustrous, but, you know, it... Uh, that is a show that I kind of regret skipping until now uh, because it has become a standout show each week. I've been extremely impressed by it. Um, In a similar vein, I actually have a question um, from one of the, uh, one of the people I know through audio entropy, uh, Dora Mingu, uh, who wants to know like, so he remembers when we were doing the preview of this season of anime and we didn't even bother with a show called Konohana Kitan uh, because it looked like a, and as I explained it, it looked like a generic sort of cute girls do cute things anime, uh, except the cute girls were foxes and the thing they did was run a hotel slash hot spring. Um, and he brought that up because, uh, you know, he actually started watching it um and you know he like it wasn't the best show in the world but like he kind of he ended up kind of enjoying it and he sort of wants to know he, he specifically said uh that we're right it is just cute girls doing cute things but also it has a fairly heavy yuri feel to it um and he kind of ended up enjoying it i saw the first um, episode of that and yeah that's pretty much uh, what I figured from it. Yeah, and uh, sort of the the question he wants to know is, 
what elements in a in promo art or synopsis or whatever in our previews cause us to sort of just dismiss a show outright and have there ever been times where we have regretted making that decision oh yeah i can answer the last question oh yeah sure We've, we've regretted it and then there's things we've watched and got to like episode 10 and go oh no I know, I know that there is an example of one where we dismissed it initially, and then, you know, it actually ended up being good. I can't think of one immediately, though. Oh, I can. Um, oh, well, actually, you know what? MMO Junkie. That's one. Well, MMO Junkie, and uh, oh, thanks. Name just rolled off. The one about the robots, the love robots, uh, Aquarian Evil. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, one of us, one of us slugged through it, and then all of a sudden, everybody jumped on the bandwagon, and it's like, "Wow, where's this been?" Oh, I've been watching it. Yeah, actually, it was Scamp who. Uh, it was Scamp actually yep. who got us back into it. I think. Yeah, wow. Scamp was, or at least Scamp is the one who got me to give it a second chance. Scamp was a big cheerleader for that show, and he was right. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, that's and then they oh why did we watch this? In my in my defense, I didn't just dismiss it outright. I actually gave it an episode, but wasn't really impressed by the first episode. <laughs> and like also in my defense, that first episode is kind of weak compared yeah. to like the parts of that show that are actually pretty good. Well, you you know the reason I watched that, and it could have been the world's worst show, but I watched it for the soundtrack. Oh yeah, yeah, you know, Yoko Kano. I mean, come on. Yoko Kano does not write junk music. She may have it write music for a junk show, but the lady does not write junk music. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's... Now, that is one thing. If I look at it and see who's doing the music, if Yoko Kano's or somebody similar along the line is doing the music, it's like, oh, yeah, I'll watch a couple of episodes just to see what the music's like. Because, like I said, usually when they, you go to somebody like that and said, score it, she says, yeah, show me what it's going to look like. I don't want to score it. Next. So, you know, I, that was kind of taken on, you know, knowing that, you know, she did, she's gotten to be famous enough that she can be picky about what she scores. <laughs> you know, she's, she did score Fractal, and that was a good thing. Because that's... Oh, gosh. That show blew. God. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, like, the the only one I can think of recently, just, just because... It examples of me going back to a show that I initially dismissed are going to be fairly few and far between just because I, I rarely even go back to watch shows that I know were good that I just didn't have time for. Um, so I just don't go back to shows very often. Uh, but yeah, like MMO Junkie was very much one that I thought would be completely for completely like not necessarily bad but just not worth my time sword artish yeah and then well not as not 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 necessarily sword artish but just sort of like dull um but then like fathomless blue started tweeting very good things about it i gave it a shot and i was like oh okay actually this is like a good mmo show actually yep uh which we will review next time yes Along with Altair, if you people are looking for that, we'll grab it next time, too. 
Yeah. Uh, th- this week, because of the holidays, was hectic for some people, so, you know, uh, we didn't get a chance to watch, uh, see everything, but uh, we will be caught up uh, next time we record. Uh, my big problem that I was, uh, had kind of a low-grade illness of some sort for oh, most dear. of the week. Oh, I was just not feeling it. Yeah. That's unfortunate. You are feeling better now? Yes. Good. I looks like I've other, recovered. Looks you weren't the other night when I was uh with you and you're like, I'm dead. I'm like, okay, I got a shovel. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, last Wednesday night, which is like normally when I'm supposed to be uh you know, being you know, DMing D and D. Uh I was just not up to DMing that night, so I just had I just sat at a table and played instead of DMing. And, yeah. Well, plus the fact that uh, only three players had showed up. Oh. <laughs> because it was the because it was the night before Thanksgiving, and everybody else was making Thanksgiving preparations. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Well, uh, how close are we to being done? Maybe. Uh, we are done now. Really? That is. Uh... Yeah, that's the last. Oh, uh, we we did forget to mention like what elements tend to make us dismiss shows. Uh, generally speaking, in the way I judge a show is that like there there are two things that will generally make me just immediately dismiss a show. One of those things is uh, you know are there a bunch? Uh, are there like four or more? Uh, girls on the poster just sort of in a generic background not doing anything of note with just very basic character designs if so it's probably not going to be worth my time because they're just a bunch of stereotypes that do cute things and that's what the show is going to be uh Another element that will make me just skip out on show entirely is if the synopsis starts with so-and-so was an ordinary high school student until. <laughs> well, it depends on what the until was, but yeah, most untils are like... Uh... Most of the time, it's not going to be worth it. Occasionally, there will be stuff in that synopsis that, you know, it piques my interest, but generally speaking, if your synopsis starts with like this dude was an ordinary high school student. Like, especially if, like, the thing that happens is that he may- meets a sexy girl who's, like, magic or some shit. That reduces the chances even more that I will give your show a shot. Well, and... Because, like, I've, I've seen this plot line before. And it's and it's almost never worth my time. Well, it's, it's like, uh, you know, adolescent romance takes another twist. Okay... Uh, also, similarly, if your poster shows, like, one dude and seven ladies crowding around him, you are facing an uphill battle. Like, it's it's not a guarantee that I'll skip, up, skip out on it, but, you know, it's not a good impression, let's say. The thing that, the turnoff for me in a show is if I get a sense that there's not going to be any progression. Either, oh, if it's just like... Either in the characterization or the plot. 
Oh yeah, this is going to be like static. <laughs> right, because that's what gets me about cute girls doing cute things. Is that like none of the characters ever learn or grow, and that kind of yeah. I feel it feels like a missed opportunity. Yeah, that was kind of the the issue we ended up having with the motorbike one. I can't remember what that that was, was called. That was Bakuan. Yeah. Bakuan, right? Yeah. So that was kind of the issue we had with Bakuan, where like initially, like it seemed okay, and like the, there had some funny jokes, but like as it continued on, it just the jokes got lazier, and the characters got like just stayed the same or got worse. And then the, I think the one that slipped us up for this season would have been Black Clover. Oh God, Black Clover! Oh, I mean that. I mean that's that's one where like basically everything about it was actually pretty interesting, except it just had a horrific main character. Uh, yeah, just the worst. Yeah. So with Black Clover, what I'm gonna what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna watch it, but I'm gonna watch the dub. Oh, <laughs> because. I was gonna say, or you're gonna watch it on mute. <laughs> no, the because I actually watched episode five. I like I watched the first four episodes in sub. Are you? Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, the main character's voice is just horrific. Uh, you know, so... I never thought that I never thought that fingernails on a blackboard would sound good. Yeah. The dude just did not know how to voice act. No, I think that was actually cast that way, and if it was cast that way, then I have to applaud the effort made. You know, there's annoying, and then there's annoying, and then I I was paid to be annoyed. Just I hope whoever did that doesn't get typecast doing that. Oh, yeah. and of course... This this was his first. Yeah, this was his first acting of 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 note. So, oh yeah, can we get can we get tabcast real? Yeah, no. Okay, sorry, I had to interject. Yeah, that. right. That's fine. I think what's still what's still <laughs> what's still not good about Black Clover is the pacing. The pacing is horrible. Horrible. Sometimes you do, and sometimes you don't. Alright, anyway. So, uh, that'll be it for this what? episode of BakaCast, I think. Well, the other thing I want to say right before we go is... Oh, yeah, go ahead. They, there's like 40 shows a season to come out. You know? <laughs> and, and I mean, okay, let's... Sometimes we gotta make quick, unfair decisions. And, and, well, and <laughs> it's like, you know, I'm looking here, and there's like, uh... Uh, second season of this, ninth season of that, third season of this, you know, and it's okay if you've watched like Food Wars, the third season of it's out. If you've watched the first two seasons, then you're going to watch the third season because you're hooked. Or Naruto is what, episode 9,631 or something like that. You know, if you've watched that many episodes of Naruto, Naruto or One Piece. Nar- or something. Naruto is done. What's happening saying, now is that Oruto is on like episode thirty something. 
But like I said, <laughs> it, it, it's it's the same way. You know, if Bebop had become a long running series or Big O had become a long running series, you would be watching something like that because you're hooked. But some of these shows are like, okay, Civilization is dead. Da, 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 da. Original anime on their 10th year anniversary. Da, da, da. It's like, you know, you just kind of look at it and go, well, okay. <laughs> All right. So we're done. Yeah, I'm, so, I'm, I'm done. Yeah. All right, so that'll be it for this episode of BakiCast. Uh, as always, you can send us uh, comments or questions either on our blog at www.projectharahi.net uh, or www.audioentropy.com or you can send us an email at bakicast at projecthari.net. Um, I also, I think, will uh, we'll probably... Um, talk about uh, next season anime as well do a speaking of you know dismissing shows uh we'll do a season preview next recording um is it or, that time already anyway or maybe the one yep. or maybe the one after that yeah one after that maybe. sounds better uh in any case uh ben dustin three two one Kittabush. uh watch anime still better than terrestrial tv See y'all watch, later. Watch Outlander. Outlander's awesome.